From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. I, I think. Uh, well, I know you're you're getting over a bout of that terrible flu that's going around. Yeah, for and the uh, I don't remember how many times I've been sick, and I think one of these episodes already I said I get sick once a year and it's really bad, but then I get over it, and I can already say that 2018 is proving that wrong. So. Oh gosh! Yeah, and we're not—we're barely a month into it. Um, so. You know, between the travel that's already been happening, the the ups and downs in the weather, and just the stress of uh, the start of the year, I am hoping that once all of that goes away, I will just fall back into good health. But at least I can say honestly that of all the stressful things we've done at the start of the year, this show, recording it weekly, has not been one of those. This has actually ended up being way easier, I think, than you and I ever expected. So. Well, well, I don't know yet. <laughs> we'll see. Well, on we my give end. give it a little more time. See, I, but... I, I just show up, and I'm pretty, and I hit the record buttons. It's so... Well, well, then you put it all together at the end. <laughs> so that's yeah. a lot of work to do. But um, yeah, and I know that out of Walt Disney World, the, the it's like the first half of the year is nonstop with special events. Because what it's yeah. um, it's what do they call it? The Festival of the Arts. Well, yeah, Festival that I know of the I Arts. Just missed. Yeah. Then then so, then there's well there's my favorite, the Flower and Garden exactly festival. And then when is Food and Wine? Food and Wine doesn't start again till August, but of course this okay. year we're also going to have Toy Story Land opening up mm-hmm. in May. So we're like Festival 1 is covered, then we'll go straight into Festival Number 2, then we'll go into Toy Story Land, which is going to be very exciting. And, oh man, it's and I'm sure there's going to be way more surprises along the way than just oh, no those doubt. couple things. and. That's just on the Disney side. I still have Universal to also worry about, yeah. too. That's true. Yeah, Disneyland has a lot going on this year, too. Of course, they have all their different cultural festivals. They're doing the Lunar New Year Festival yeah. as when we're recording this, which is always really well done. And, you know, and of course, we're going to have our Pixar Fest. Yes, yeah. That I'm just really excited about. And then, oh. and then of course, we have our food and wine earlier in the year. Exactly, yeah. So um, That th- conveniently exciting. ends the day before Pixar Fest begins. Yeah, isn't that nice? Yeah. So. it's Well, that's, I think, everyone probably is going to book that, that last weekend there. Mm-hmm. So that way they get their taste of 
food and wine and then it can roll right into pixar fest i exactly if i wasn't coming off that italy cruise just a week before that i wish i could be there so badly so i love a good fireworks show at disneyland and at least from the ones i've seen you can always guarantee that on the debut night they will do whatever it takes to shoot off the fireworks even if it's not safe so that's a one time you can guarantee to see it is on the debut. Oh, that's funny. So, well, a few weeks ago when I was out in Orlando to spend a few days uh, with Craig doing research for the show, and and of course I appeared in our Walt Disney World show to announce that Connecting with Walt would be a weekly show, Craig and I had the good fortune to meet with our friend, Disney historian and author Jim Corcus, to talk about his latest book, Call Me Walt, Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney. And Jim has written more than 20 books and hundreds of articles about all things Disney for the past 35 years. And what makes his writings unique from other writers is that, is that he has met and interviewed many of Walt's original animators and Imagineers. So this means that the stories Jim shares comes directly from those who worked with Walt Disney. So Jim has stories you won't find anywhere else. And he shared several of those stories with me and Craig, and now with you. All right, well, today, Craig and I are taking advantage of being in in Walt Disney World. Yeah. And we are um, here with a Diz favorite, a Connecting with Walt favorite, um, Disney historian and author and speaker, Jim Corcus. Jim, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig. And, and yes, I'm really in the flesh. It's not over yeah. uh, uh, the phone anymore. And yes, we're at um, uh, Walt Disney World, which is the most magical place on Earth. Right. Disneyland is the happiest place on Earth. But Walt Disney World is the most magical place on Earth. And we're at a, a, the very magical uh, French Quarter, which uh, has gone under some uh, renovations, which uh, were very surprising to me. But it also reminds me that uh, Walt Disney World is constantly changing. And, and we've certainly seen that this last year. And Certainly this coming year with uh, the introduction of uh, Toy Story Land and then next year uh, uh, Star Wars, Galaxy Edge and uh, all of the, these other things. And so it just flies by very quickly. So it's very important uh, to uh, document uh, what we know. So uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Craig, for documenting this thing for future generations. They can go back and take a look at your podcast and find out what the heck was going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you brought up how Walt Disney World is the most magical place on Earth because I was with a, a friend yesterday who is a cast member at the Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom and we were going through the, uh, the what we would call Disneyland, the Disneyana shop. And we uh, and he a brand new collectible coin came out, and I guess he collects coins. Mm-hmm. So he was looking at it, and it's for Walt Disney World. And it said, and and a friend of his who was a cast member who was on duty mm-hmm. showed it to him, and it said, um, uh, "The happiest place on earth." And I said, "Isn't it Disneyland?" And they just both looked at me and said, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> well, well and, and and again, you know that that's why. Um, it's very important for me to to try to be accurate. So when I write books or when I write articles or even when I 
I do a, a podcast like this. I, I try to be as accurate as I possibly can because it, it all just sort of blends together. And, and I'm as bad as anybody else. I, I still refer to it as the Disney MGM Studios <laughs> rather than Disney Hollywood Studios, and I probably will until uh, uh, the day I die. But yes, a lot of things just flip back and forth. And, and again, people are constantly referring to it as Disney World rather than Walt Disney World. So, uh, and what happens is the the more usage that happens, the more it becomes, it, just like the man who shot Liberty Valance, you know, uh, the, the uh, moral of that story is that sometimes the legend becomes the truth. And mm-hmm. so that's what often happens with uh, Disney nomenclature and Disney history. So it, it's important to, to try and get that recorded down so we can have that for use in the future well and speaking of which in terms of, of recording things getting mm-hmm. and getting the story straight talking about a new book that's perfect for our show that you wrote it's entitled call me walt everything you never knew about walt disney um, by jim corcus it's this is a great little book and so what we're going to do today is talk a little about we're going to talk about Walt Disney and talk about a few of the things that you've uh, you've written about in your book and, and enough to, to whet people's appetite. Well, and, and again, I <laughs> I think it's it's a, an important book, even if I'm the one who wrote it, uh, because uh, there's so many biographies of Walt Disney out there. You know, in in fact, in my home library, I, I easily have uh, about uh, uh, two dozen or more, and and some of them are are, are foreign bi- biographies. There were biographies uh, 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 written in the in the Soviet Union and in France and all that. But there are also those um, what are called uh, juvenile biographies that are, are often. Uh, sort of a Cliff Notes version of Walt's life for for younger kids and uh, preteens to to read and 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 get a sense. And so there really wasn't a need for another biography because there are some good ones out there, but there are some really very very bad ones. Yes. But uh, all of them seem to define Walt by what he did. So uh, when people say the name Walt Disney, immediately uh, we think, oh yes, creator of Mickey Mouse. Uh, uh, He made Disneyland, audio animatronics, uh, you know, the the first uh, Technicolor animated uh, uh, feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And and my gosh, he, he, he certainly had more achievements than almost anybody else in the entire history, you know, uh, but everybody defines it Walt by that, and they don't look into Walt as uh, a person. Who 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 was this uh, person? How tall was he? Uh, uh, how much did uh, did he weigh? Uh, you know, did he like uh, cats as well as, as dogs? What cars did he drive? You know, uh, where did he go buy his clothes? Things like that, and. Um, I, I think uh, Walt has been the subject to a, for an awful lot of attacks uh, recently, you know, and, and, and the feeling of, oh, yes, well, uh, nobody could be that good. He, he must have uh, had a dark agenda, you know, and, and all of this. And th- that was just simply not the, the case, you know. The, actually, the Walt that you saw uh, doing the introductions on his weekly TV show was really pretty close to exactly uh, who uh, Walt was. His, his sense of optimism, his um, 
uh, friendliness, uh, his uh, curiosity, um, all of that is, is uh, his sense of humor, uh, even about himself. That, that's all very evident in the, those introductions. He's not uh, uh, portraying some character that, re- that really is uh, uh, Walt. And so I, I thought it was necessary because we have so many people, uh, especially recently, who knew Walt personally and worked with Walt, uh, who have have passed away? J- mm-hmm. Just Marty Scalar recently, you know, very unexpectedly. Uh, who who is always a, a great spokesperson uh, for Walt in terms of saying, no, this is what Walt might have thought. This is what uh, this is how Walt uh, w- worked through things. But you know, uh, we've had Jack Lindquist pass away. All, all of this, and so we're getting to that point. Um, because Walt has been gone for half a century now, uh, we're getting to that point where uh, we're losing all of those people who actually knew him and who could s- stand up and say, no, look, this is what I saw. And we're falling into um, uh, a situation where we've got an awful lot of uh, pseudo-experts who are, are saying, no, this is what he thought, this is what he he did. In fact, uh, I most of the people who knew Walt, and, and I didn't know Walt, but I was just as upset as they were, were with the PBS documentary. I was just thinking about that. We're going to bring it up. Where, where they pulled in uh, some, some ex- experts who had never met Walt in his entire life, and yet they're, they're, they're speaking with great authority of, well, this is what Walt was thinking at, at that time. Oh, and psychoanalyzing. And, yes, yeah. and, 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 and making those... Uh, 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 Jumps and making the every person I talked to who knew Walt uh, said nobody knew what Walt was exactly. thinking. Um, uh, <laughs> Jack Hanna, who is a, a Disney legend and a an animator who animated on the uh, Donald Duck shorts and then directed a lot of those, and uh, you know, he, he said, Jim, nobody knew what Walt was thinking. You you could bring him something and say and think, well, Walt loved this the last time, so this is what... And he said, Walt would tear it to pieces, and you'd be standing there with your jaw on the ground of, what happened now? Mm-hmm. You know, because Walt was always thinking ahead, always thinking, and and constantly evolving, constantly changing. So his core values always remain the same, but he always adapted to um, what the world was around him, and and how uh, entertainment was changing, how audiences uh, uh, were were changing, you know. And, um, you know, Michael, one of the questions uh, people often ask is, well, Jim, how did you end up in this position mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to talk about Walt Disney, to talk about, uh, you know, the, the Disney theme parks and, and all of that? And, uh, well, it all started off with me being... Um, Growing up in Glendale, California, which is uh, adjacent to Burbank, California, where the the Disney Studios are, and in fact, it is uh, uh, so adjacent that f- where I lived in uh, uh, Glendale, it was only a, a, a ten, maybe fifteen minute drive tops to get to the Disney Studios if if that's where I wanted uh, to go. And uh, fortunately, a lot of the uh, animators and Imagineers lived in the Glendale Burbank uh, area. So uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old, 
uh, I really wanted to be a cartoonist, really wanted to be an animator. And so um, I was able to watch, you know, the weekly Disney uh, television show. And when they did a, a, a show devoted to animation, I would watch the credit crawl at the end. And then I would rush and get my uh, um, school notebook and I would try and scribble down as many names as I could. And, and I, I was dumb as dirt. So I had no idea what the difference between a layout artist and an animator or an assistant or anything. I just wrote down the names. And then I went to the uh, Glendale Burbank phone book and I would look up these names and I would phone them up and, and I would say, I'm, I'm, I'm Jim Corcus and I'm interested in, in being an animator and I saw your name on, on TV and could you explain to me, you know, and um, roughly about uh, uh, 85% that I called up were, were very friendly, were very gracious, were very uh, uh, patient. Um, there were another 10% who thought it was some type of gag because in, in animation uh, you often play uh, jokes on your 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 friends and so they thought you know they had set up some 12 year old kid to phone them up and, and say uh, gee I like your cartoons and then about five percent were uh, wrong numbers and so um, fortunately I was able to to meet some of these people and uh, they were gracious enough to uh, to talk with me and to uh, put me in touch with with uh, uh, other um, uh, Disney artists, uh, but but again, that was not what was my career goal was uh, going to be. I wanted to be, uh, you know, a, a, a rich and famous uh, actor and have you know naked starlets throwing themselves at me. That that was <laughs> that was my dream. So I, I was in a lot of uh, school productions and little theater productions and all of that. And uh, I, I even uh, did some uh, TV work and and film work as well as uh, stage work. Uh, um, I was a, uh, a winner on the gong show with uh, my brothers as the uh, Quasimodo Bel Airs, uh, singing, dancing hunchbacks. Uh, Quasimodo, <laughs> do you know who's going to win the third race? No, but I got a hunch. And I was on uh, the dating game uh, with, my, with my brothers and uh, on Family Feud. And I was actually on a, a, a Chuck Barris game show called, uh, which was very short-lived, called Camouflage, where I won a red Cadillac from Casa de Cadillac. <laughs> and uh, again, since I was a um, uh, professional uh, uh, actor, since I was in uh, AFTRA, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, I was making a scale, you know, uh, for doing this because sometimes game shows want professional actors because they can follow directions better and they can also you know, give a, a more exaggerated reaction so that people at home, you know, can... Uh, so, for instance, when I, I won the Cadillac, I I threw myself on the car and kissed the windshield and, and all of that, and uh, I, 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 I could see the uh, director and producer behind the camera, you know, nodding their heads and, and thinking, we're going to invite this guy back for another show because, you know, this is going to play really really well. And so I, I also uh, uh, wrote and directed and performed shows at uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain. And, and, and the, big, uh, the big joke in uh, California was, uh, uh, gosh, Jim Corcus is the most uh, Disney guy we know, but he's not working for Disney. He's working for everybody else. I, I was writing um, 
comic books for uh, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Tiny Toon comic books for um, uh, distribution in Germany and France and Italy because uh, they publish comic books uh, weekly rather than monthly or bi-monthly as they did out in the United States. So they needed more stories uh, uh, to fill all of that. And then, of course, in uh, 1995... um, uh, both of my parents uh, developed health problems, uh, congestive heart failure. And staying in Los Angeles was uh, not an option because the, the smog uh, uh, aggravated respiratory problems. And uh, if any of you have actually been in Los Angeles, you know that there's a, uh, even though California is supposed to be laid back, there's that tension that there. So uh, we moved out uh, to um, Orlando because my uh, brother Mike had already moved out and he was working in uh, Streetmosphere at Disney MGM oh, okay. in, in 1989 when the uh, uh, studios opened. He was there as a Streetmosphere uh, uh, performer, as a, uh, uh, as a cowboy with a huge uh, lasso. And my other uh, brother, Chris, had moved out uh, to work at the Gourmet Pantry at downtown Disney. I don't know if uh, anybody listening uh, remembers when that w- was there. That's now the home for the uh, Earl of Sandwich. But oh, okay. it, 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 it was the gourmet pantry, which was the, uh, uh, they would make sandwiches and things like that. And then uh, both of them moved up in, in the uh, uh, company. My brother Mike uh, eventually moved up to be the uh, uh, casting person for all of uh, Walt Disney World. And uh, uh, actually was the maintenance director for uh, Voyage of the Little Mermaid and uh, uh, the Indiana Jones stunt show and things like that. He just recently retired uh, this last summer. And then my brother uh, Chris moved up into a variety of uh, uh, positions and currently he's working with uh, ESPN uh, merchandise, uh, allocating you know which merchandise goes to which location, because some areas sell more T-shirts and some more hats and uh, things like uh, that. Neither of them have ever read anything I have ever written. <laughs> Even though I mention them in my books, sometimes I dedicate my books to them, I list them in the acknowledgments, they are just not readers. They are just not... Uh, and they're just not uh, Disney fans. They like Disney, but uh, they are not uh, avid... Uh, uh, Disney fans. And of course, when I moved uh, uh, out, I, I had uh, sold the house at a loss and uh, had uh, cashed in everything. And out in Orlando, unless you're working for the uh, hospitality industry, the theme park or a, a hotel or a restaurant, there's just nothing, no jobs. There are really no jobs available. So um, I started out at uh, Pleasure Island, uh, doing uh, magic and balloon animals for drunk college students. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, again, I had a, a background in, in magic. I, I had done magic professionally out in Los Angeles. I had a background in the, the circus arts. And uh, from there, uh, they moved me over um, in uh, about, actually, in, in about four months, they moved me over to... Um, the Magic Kingdom, where I was the friend of uh, Merlin the Magician doing the Sword and the Stone ceremony. Oh, yes, looking for the new temporary royal ruler of Fantasyland. Oh, yes. And on weekends, I was Prospector Pat, no gold miner in Frontierland. <laughs> By golly. And um, 
then from there, uh, in 1996, the uh, Disney Institute opened. And because I had a background in animation, uh, I got a job uh, working at uh, the Disney Institute, and I taught every animation class. I taught uh, Voices of Disney, which is, uh, you know, how to do character voices for, for voiceover. I did, uh, I taught how to paint cells. I taught uh, uh, classic animation and computer animation and uh, uh, stop motion clay animation and the history of animation. And, um, and then the Disney Institute, which I, I thought, my gosh, this is where I'm just going to live and die. You know, this, this, is, this is so wonderful. Um, as Disney said, it became so successful, it could not be limited to just one location. The entire property is, is the classroom of the Disney Institute. And so what they did is they got rid of most of us and uh, shuffled it off uh, the Disney Institute to a, a couple of cubicles in uh, uh, celebration. You know, and then uh, eliminated uh, uh, classes for regular guests and just limited it to uh, uh, corporations, you know, uh, to come in. And I, I jumped over to Disney Adult Discoveries, which is the behind-the-scenes tours for uh, guests like uh, Backstage Magic, uh, Hidden Treasures of World Showcase, Yuletide Fantasy. You know, I, I, I taught all of those uh, classes. I wrote some of them. And then I moved over to Epcot because they needed a... Um, uh, they wanted a, 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 a tour for guests, so I wrote the original uh, Undiscovered Future World. And they liked me so much, they brought me into guest relations, and then later in as a coordinator for uh, college and international programs. Because, uh, again, I am a uh, certificated uh, uh, teacher, and I'm, I'm uh, licensed to teach every level from elementary school up through, you know, college, and international students and college students needed to have a certain number of classes so that they could prove to their college and they could prove to their uh, country that Disney wasn't just bringing them in uh, to sell uh, Mickey Mouse ice cream bars uh, on, on the street, that they were actually uh, getting some uh, information and some instruction in, in how Disney did it and Disney history and all that. So I ended up teaching 250 different programs that I wrote and uh, uh, instructed everything from uh, uh, cultural immersion to the history of Donald Duck uh, and, and back again. And um, then I moved over to uh, the Disney Learning Center, which was a combination uh, uh, computer lab and library, and they also offered classes for uh, cast members, enrichment cl classes, so I, I taught a lot of those. And then in, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, where we had that uh, uh, big economic dip, um, Walt Disney World in one week uh, laid off 3,000 uh, cast members, and myself included. And so it didn't make any difference how many things I had done. It didn't make any difference how many awards I had gotten. It didn't make any difference how many, you know, uh, guest uh, accolades I had in my... It, it came down simply to a question of, of money, you know. We're, we're going to, to cut things. But again, I was... Uh, uh, in retrospect, I was very clever. I, w I was able to separate... Uh, the Disney brand from the Disney business. The Disney b brand is that pixie dust, the, 
the, the characters, the films, uh, the parks, that feeling you have when you're in a Disney theme park, which is different than any other outdoor entertainment venue experience, and the Disney business. So you can love the Disney brand, but still have concerns how the Disney business uh, operates. And so as a result, I'm on uh, uh, good terms with, with Disney. And so uh, they've brought me back and I've, I've written and narrated videos. I've uh, written articles for uh, uh, magazines. I write a quarterly uh, column for the Disney Vacation Club magazine, Disney Files, which I, I, I love tremendously because I find that DVC members really have that uh, Disney magic. You know, when I when I meet with them, they they really have that uh, uh, hunger for uh, Disney knowledge and uh, just the love of the park and feel that the more they know, it enhances the experience. And um, uh, as a result of being laid off from Disney, it then gave me the opportunity to write books because if I was still a Disney cast member. Uh, I would have to send that through Disney uh, for approval and not just the approval of uh, the facts, but the approval of what Disney wants to um, wants the story to be. So, uh, for instance, uh, an example is they may not want me to write about uh, Mickey Mouse in the 1930s because what they're selling is the new Mickey Mouse cartoons on the Disney Channel. You know, that is the Mickey Mouse that they want to, to promote. And in fact, we're seeing that come in as a, a new attraction mm -hmm. at, the, at, at the studios. And um, uh, so, you know, you have to be careful that way. But now that I'm no longer a Disney cast member, I can write what I, I want. But I, I try and uh, uh, stick to historical material. I try to uh, stick with stuff that is as accurate as I can get it. And, and sometimes it's difficult being accurate because the Disney company has always been one that um, has rarely documented because they're, they've been so busy doing, you know, that there isn't the time or the money to have somebody set aside and, and, and write, you know, this stuff down. And even when Walt was alive, it was a, an a oral history. If you came and you had a question about... Uh, Steamboat Willie, they'd say, oh, well, just go talk to Ub Iwerks down in Special Processes. He worked on that. He, he can tell you, you know. Um, but what happens is even when you uh, talk with people who were there when something happened, sometimes they only saw their part of it or uh, they misremember. I, I, I find that when I interview people who um, had a career both at Disneyland and at Walt Disney World, is they'll misremember something about a particular attraction. You know, the, uh, when I ask them about it at Walt Disney World, they'll be telling me about what it was like at Disneyland. And um, so you have to go through and try and confirm as much of this as possible. And as the years pass, this becomes more and more difficult, you know, uh, to do. You know, we've even lost um, so much of our uh, recent Disney history you know, uh, w even about Pleasure Island, you know, um, where it has, uh, it, to me, that's <laughs> recent history. But uh, for a lot of uh, uh, Disney fans, that's just sort of, you know, a very fuzzy, blurry type image. And, you know, you've moved on to Disney Springs now. And, of course, all of this has led me um, 
to the ultimate, which is doing this podcast with uh, Michael and Craig. <laughs> and so, so this is the uh, cherry on the ice cream sundae uh, of, my, uh, of my life here. Thank you. Well, and I, I do think for one of our purposes of the show is that I think in order to understand what a person person has accomplished, you have to understand the person, and so so that's why I I wanted you to talk about mm-hmm. your background, and also that's how I wanted to talk about the book, um, Call Me Walt: Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney, because I agree. In order to understand what he accomplished, you have to understand the man. And I think that's what I enjoy so much about your book is you really focus on the man and his life influences that then influenced what he was able to achieve, influenced his interactions with the people that he sort of tasked with carrying out his vision. And and what's interesting is you really find out in your book how complex Walt was and that he's not easily definable no, as a person. No, he, he isn't. And in fact, many of the people that I, I interviewed said, you know, Walt um, was different, a different person to different people. And um, that di- didn't mean that he was deceptive. That didn't mean, you know, that he was untrue to his core beliefs and uh but it it was that he could read people very easily so he knew that this person would respond to praise this person would uh, respond more to being put in competition with with somebody else this person would be uh respond to uh having uh them stretched you know beyond their their comfort uh uh level you know um john hench once once told Walt when he was working on Fantasia that he really didn't want to work on Fantasia because he wasn't interested in, in ballet. And, and Walt says, let me change that. And so Walt immediately picked up the phone and got him season tickets to the ballet and made arrangements so that he could sit backstage. So Hench would, was there for all of these ballets and he would be sketching backstage. And Hench says, I fell in love with ballet. <laughs> and and I learned concepts that I could then apply to my design work and, 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 and all of this. And he says, I never would have done that on my own. But Walt saw that in me, that if I had been given that opportunity and if I was pushed, I, I would go in, in, in that direction. And yes, Walt was... Um, uh, Diane, his, his daughter, who I, I was very privileged to know, said, yes, Walt was uh, as simple as you think, but he was also as complex, you know, a, as you think. And uh, even though he seemed like this um, charming extrovert, he, he was he was very private. He was he, he was also very self-conscious. He was he was self-conscious about how he sounded. He didn't didn't think he, he that's why he didn't want to be the uh, host of his, his uh, uh, TV show he he didn't think he was good enough you know he 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 thought that uh, he didn't speak uh, well enough and and in fact oftentimes uh during the uh, taping uh he had a, a assistant there who would stop him and and said uh you know, uh, you you misspoke this word, or you you know whatever, so that they could go back and do that because uh, uh, Walt wanted to present um, a, a very good uh, image. In fact, uh, one of the innovations that Walt rarely gets credit for 
is uh, building a brand. Um, you know, he literally told uh, uh, Marty Scalar one time that, uh, you know, I'm not Walt Disney anymore. You know, I, I do things that Walt Disney, uh, I don't want Walt Disney to do. I, I smoke, I drink, I I swear. He, he used, you know, mild swear words. Frank Thomas, uh, the animator, uh, uh, told me, Walt maybe knew about four or five that he used. And he said, they're really pretty, you know, lame compared with what, you know, people uh, uh, use, but but that was not the brand of Walt Disney. But again, the downside to that is he created this brand of, of this uh, uh, man based on him. You know, a, a lot of that were, were his elements, so that now it's very easy for people to attack the brand. Oh, yes, he's not as good as, you know, nobody could be that good, you know. And uh, as we'll talk about in the podcast, he certainly had his flaws. But, um, you know, basically he was a good man and he wanted other people to be happy. And and, uh, as as you said, you know, who he was oftentimes influenced what he did. You know, the, the whole Florida project out here wasn't a case of, well, this is a man who's looking to uh, uh, get more money, you know. Uh, off of this project, this this is a man you know who's who's trying to uh, take advantage of of, uh, of things and and do that. No, he he was doing this because he thought this is going to improve the world. I'm going to have an area that's a living laboratory that people can come visit, and whatever they see that they feel they can use, they can take back to their own cities. And it's going to be a living laboratory because it's going to be constantly changing because new things are going to be developed. And uh, he, he really had that belief that there really was a uh, great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. And um, he felt, I'm going to help people find that. It, it wasn't a case of, yes, let's put more money in the, in, in the Disney uh, uh, pockets. A, a lot of people don't realize that uh, personally... Uh, he was in debt until uh, about two years before he passed away. And in fact, uh, everybody, including his daughter, agreed that if he had lived longer, he would have gotten in debt again. <laughs> because um, he was constantly, and he wasn't spending that money on himself, he was spending it on the company. He was spending it on, on, on projects. And he was spending it on other people. Sometimes people would write to him, uh, that he had known in his um, early years, and uh, he he would send them money to 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 help the help them out, and and again didn't make a big deal about it, and and in in fact before the podcast started, you and I were talking about his charity work, which uh, again uh, he did very very quietly, so people didn't know. My gosh, really he. Yes, he, he 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 gave money to uh, uh, a Jewish uh, old age home and a, a, a Jewish orphanage and uh, the boys club and and the National Blindness Association and the uh, Jewel Stein Eye Center and and the, the John Tracy Clinic uh, for the Deaf and and this money was not you know this is from the Disney Company this was from Walt's personal wallet although he never hesitated. Uh, to leverage his resources. And so um, 
uh, Mucci of, of, of the Mouseketeers said that Walt would always uh, come and ask the Mouseketeers to go and, and perform for the John Tracy Clinic. And he said, and we did that. We didn't get paid for doing that. We did it because Walt asked us uh, to do that. And oftentimes it was a fundraiser, you know, to, to bring in money. And he said, um, you know, what people didn't see is that Walt wasn't sitting there in the front row, you know, orchestrating this. Walt was cleaning tables and, and scrubbing dishes in the kitchen, you know, despite the fact that, you know, this, this is one of uh, Hollywood's leading movie producers and uh, uh, certainly it also had made a, a, a financial donation to this charity. And, and yet he's down there rolling up his sleeves and, and doing this, you know. Um, I, I got to see a, 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 thanks to Diane, I got to see some of the... Uh, uh, Disney family movies, and one time when uh, Walt went back to uh, 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 Marceline to uh, uh, dedicate a, a part that was in his name, uh, he stopped at, at this uh, children's hospital, and uh, it, it is so touching that you see that when he comes to the bed, he bends down so that he's eye level with with the child, and he takes the, the child's hand in both of his hands, you know, and cradles it and, and just smiles and look. And, and, and this is a child who, you know, uh, may not be there the, the following year. And, and Walt is giving him his full time, his full attention. And, and this is who Walt was. Now, that, that's not to say that Walt w- w- it, it should be put up for sainthood or, or whatever, but this was a man who enjoyed children. He enjoyed older people. His, uh, his wife Lillian said uh, when we went to travel, he loved talking to older people about their lives. He loved listening to other people. Tell me your story. What, you know, I'm interested in what you think. And um, that's something that happens consistently. So, and, and he's doing this out of the spotlight. You know, uh, one of the favorite pictures of Walt that I, I have is a um, casual snapshot that was taken um, uh, by the photographer at, at, at Disneyland uh, where Walt is bending down on Main Street out in front of City Hall picking up a piece of trash <laughs> to put in the trash can. Um uh, Ron Heminger, uh, who uh, got his start working at the, uh, uh, his dad was the uh, uh, Indian chief at the Indian village at, at Disneyland, and and so in the summers Ron would go and, and work as a dancer. He eventually worked his way up into Disneyland management, and then Walt Disney World management. And he said one time he was walking down uh, uh, Main Street with uh, with Walt and with some of the executives. Every Wednesday was. Uh, the uh, uh, called the uh, Park Operation Committee, and so early in the morning, Walt would walk through Disneyland with the executives and say, you know, I want this done, let's move this. And he said, Walt was at the front, and he says, I was a, a junior executive, so I'm in, in the back, and he said, I, I saw Walt cross in front of all of them to pick up a piece of trash and put it in the trash can, and one of the senior executives said, well, Walt, we have maintenance people who who, who can do that. And he said, Walt reamed him out right then and there. He says, I, I was surprised he didn't fire him on the spot. 
And 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 he he said we should never ask other people to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. And what is our job? Our job is Disneyland, and part of that job is keeping Disneyland clean. And we need to do that as well. Walt had that that firm belief. He he, he was a passionate man. Um, he was not as uh, articulate as as he would like to be. Uh, Marty Scalar jokes that. When Walt would talk, he, he said, I often had to write speeches for him and things like that. And he said, um, the word that I constantly would come up with is the word that he would always use, which is things. Because he, he would say, like, yes, we're going to open up the Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's going to be a fire, and there's going to be the fort, and there's going to be all these exciting things. And he said, Walt would use the word things, and your imagination would just explode. It would go wild. Because he saw it, but he didn't know how how to always communicate it to other people. Mm-hmm. So now, in writing your book, um, did you discover anything about... Um, Walt or his life that surprised you? Oh my gosh! It, it, it constantly, you know, it it, it 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 actually the subtitle should be everything Jim Corcus never knew about Walt Disney before he started writing the, this book. Um, uh, several things uh, uh, stuck out. Uh, uh, one was uh, if somebody had come to me and and supposedly Jim Corcus is this big, you know, oh yes, Jim Corcus. You know, knows all. No, there's so much Jim Corcus doesn't know. Um, If they'd come up and said, well, Jim, tell us about Walt's hobbies. You know, of course, I would have talked about polo. I would have talked about trains. You know, I I might even have talked about uh, his love of miniatures. And I've actually seen some of the miniatures that that Walt made. And they're just beautiful. And and you imagine, how can someone do something, you know... um, uh, that precise. One of the things that I didn't realize uh, uh, was uh, in the last few years of his life, his big hobby was lawn bowling. Now, lawn bowling is, is you have a, a ball, which is, a, is sort of about the size of a grapefruit, and, and you toss it, and, and it's irregular, and, and, you know, how close you get to the other lawn bowl, uh, you know. Uh, and And so... In, in some ways, it, 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 it's sort of a unusual uh, sport, and yet he played that down at the Smoke Tree Ranch. He actually designed the lawn bowling uh, course that's down there. He played lawn bowling uh, uh, with a Beverly Hills group. In fact, he paid for them in 1964 uh, to go to a, a championship in Pennsylvania that Walt participated in and, and was making plans to go to a... Uh, tournament in uh, Australia when, when he passed away, and and he had his own little leather uh, bag. And uh, here's something that most people don't know: when Walt passed away, um, the players on the Beverly Hills uh, team uh, created, and it's still in existence today, an annual international lawn bowling tournament named in his honor, and the. Um, uh, the trophy uh, has at the bottom of the trophy Walt's personal four, four lawn uh, uh, bowls, and at the top, this statue of uh, gold statue of Mickey Mouse and the image of Walt Disney on this. And it's like, how many people would have thought 
Walt Disney and lawn bowling? What what is that? And again, you know, we all know Walt's love of of, of dogs. You know, and um, there's so, uh, so many great stories about Walt and and dogs. But he also liked cats. Uh, Diane was telling me there were many cats in, in the house, and and oftentimes they loved to just. Uh, Walt had a a favorite leather chair that he liked to sit in at home, you know, to read scripts. And the cats would come up and curl up in his lap while he was reading. And um, I, I discovered, and here here's something I never knew before, too. I, I discovered this very tragic story is he had this black cat called Manxy. And he even wrote to, I, I later found out as I was doing the research, he wrote to his uh, uh, mom uh, about it. And unfortunately, uh, Fortunately, one time when the uh, uh, gardener was there working, the cat uh, crawled into the gardener's truck and fell asleep. And then when the gardener finished and, and pulled out, you know, and, and was out in, in traffic, the cat woke up and panicked and then just jumped out of the truck and was never seen, you know, uh, again, you know. And uh, that's a story that I don't think appears anywhere else because... So many things happened in Walt's life that even when you're writing a biography, you can't get all of it and you can't go off into those other, you know, little, little tangents of, you know, uh, yes, Walt always loved to, to stuff his, um, uh, the pockets of his coat with crackers and nuts so he had something to nibble on. And, and that there were certain foods that he absolutely loved and uh, other foods that, you know, don't ever give me this ever, ever again, you know, for for that to happen. So um, it was a wonderful um, experience for me to, to write the book, but it was also very frustrating because there was so much more that I was discovering that I couldn't include because uh, books have to be limited to a certain size. If you go beyond that size, there is no way of recovering the cost of publishing the book it, it it's it's just that simple um and and also the larger the size of the book the less likely people are to buy it or to read it you know you you take a a, a look at uh, uh there's one biography of walt out there that's like 600 700 pages mm-hmm. and believe me i love walt disney but but that what it became a chore <laughs> to go through that and it's not because the book w- was poorly written or was it was wrong or whatever it was just like there is just so much you know you, you so you, the hardest thing is not what to write but what do you have to leave out so that uh, people get you know that nice little taste mm-hmm. well, i agree yeah and yeah and the book is we we frequently one of the questions that i get from our listeners is they want to read a book about Walt, Walt's biography, where to start. And uh, this is a great, this is a great starting book for people who maybe they're not ready to get into that 600 page biography. This is a good one to whet their appetite. And as well as just a good one for anybody, because like, um, even if you've read all of these biographies, Mm -hmm. um, this one has information in here that isn't in any of the biographies. Because, again, <laughs> books have a, a certain, even the 600 and 700 page books, have a certain limit of, of what can you include. Right. Uh, actually, one of the uh, uh, 
uh, when people ask me about uh, uh, a biography for Walt, the one that I always constantly recommend is uh, Walt Disney, an American original by Bob Thomas. That's my go-to. And, and, yeah. and the reason I recommend that, and I still recommend that uh, uh, today, is that uh, Bob Thomas was a uh, reporter for the Associated Press, mm-hmm. and so he knew Walt Disney. He met Walt Disney, and in fact, he wrote a uh, uh, children's biography of, of Walt called Magician of the Movies, and uh, he thought he was going to have to uh, cut and paste that from previous interviews and all that. Walt sat down uh, for five or six interviews with Bob Thomas just to do that because he wanted young people to understand what it was like for him when he was young, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so there are things in that that don't exist in any of the other uh, biographies. But uh, an American original is is accurate. It's solid. Uh, it um, because uh, first off, Bob had complete access to the Disney Studios. He had complete access to everyone at the Disney Studios. So, in fact, he interviewed people who have long since passed away, so nobody else can ever interview them mm-hmm. and get that information. He had the full support of. Um, the Disney family. So he had access to the Disney family, he had access to their papers, uh, all of this in terms of, of writing this. And Thomas said, I will write this as long as I am not restricted. You know, I'm not going to write a puff piece. And and it isn't. You know, he, he does mention, you know, Walt had a nervous breakdown and some of these other things. But he doesn't dwell on them like it, it's a tabloid report. It, it's just another fact that that, that happened uh, through there. He says, uh, I will write that, but I will only write that with no restrictions. And, and both the family and the studio agreed to that. When the final manuscript came in, the family said, we would like you to make two changes. And Bob, you know, filled with integrity, all of that, agreed to both of those changes. Now, how good a Disney historian can you be? What were the only two changes that um, the Disney family wanted in uh, Bob's book? And I will tell you, in the edition that is out there now, both of those facts are now included in the book. Any, any guesses, Michael, Craig, what, what those two, what the Disney... Okay, the first one was they didn't want mentioned that Sharon was adopted. Okay. Because, again, that was that time period when they grew up where there was that um, onus about being adopted. Even though in Hollywood that was um, very common, you know, uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen, you know, adopted a son, you know, that was was quite common, but again, you didn't want that publicized. And in fact, the Disney family didn't want it publicized because they didn't want Sharon treated differently. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it wasn't like, oh yes, this is a deep dark secret that we're hiding. They told Sharon, they told Diane, you know, the, uh, things like that. And, and and for Diane, Diane said, yeah, they came to me and they said, you know, there there are two ways of of, of having babies. One is, is, you know, the mother gives birth. The other is you go and you, and you get the baby, you know, and, and Diane said it made perfect sense to me, you know, that, that's it. I didn't see any difference. So as soon as, um, Sharon passed away, the next edition of American original included that, yes, 
she was adopted. The other one, I had no clue, and it, it just took me by surprise, and it, it only came out when uh, Lillian passed away. She didn't want the year of her birth put yeah. in the book because she was two years older than Walt. Mm -hmm. Everybody assumed, well, she's the same age, or maybe she's a year or two younger, you know, obviously they're the same generation, but she was two years older and she did not want to be perceived as a cradle robber. Oh, that's hilarious, <laughs> a cradle robber. Be, be, because again, you know, we, we take, um, uh, we, we, we still have prejudices about uh, age. You know, uh, Natalie uh, uh, Schaefer, who played uh, Mrs. Howell, mm -hmm. never told her real age. And it wasn't until... Uh, uh, after she died, that they found out that you know she was easily a decade or more older than what they thought she was, and the reason she did that is, well, they never would have hired me, and they never would have let me you know fall into the the lagoon or whatever because they go, oh well, she's an old lady, we need to be very you know uh, cautious about that. So, but those things, as I said, if you buy the uh, edition that Amazon is selling right now, both that Lillian was two years older and that Sharon was uh, adopted, that's in there. But, but again, it, it, it's a good, solid uh, look at, at uh, uh, Walt. It, it's very accurate. It has material that you won't find in, in other biographies. And again, it's something you can trust. You know, there, there are other books. You know, the complaint that a lot of people have about the Neil Gabler book is not the factual research that he did, uh, some of it, which is, uh, I think, is outstanding. What uh, people criticize is that he makes assumptions. Mm -hmm. Oh, this happened. Walt must have been thinking this, exactly. or Walt, you know. Uh, and and in fact, in, in in the Gabler book, you know, he goes into well, Walt and Lillian really weren't in love, you know, towards the end there, and and, and all of that. And and I sat down and I talked with Diane about that. And he, he doesn't know them at all. And, and, and also, you know, different people behave differently, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there are changes and, and all of that. And it might not have been as passionate as it was in the beginning, but that's true of a lot of marriages, you know. But it, it, you, you could see Walt at the uh, premiere of uh, Mary Poppins, and he, he's holding, you know, her hand. And, and Dick Van Dyke told me, you know, at, at dinner, you know, they would sit close together and he would call her mother and, you know, uh, mother, would you like to have, you know, uh, such. A, and, and so, you know, but, but Gabler has made some assumptions. And, and again, here's, here's a, a writer who never met Walt in person. Um, and so, so that's the, the big thing. And, and, and again, that, that's true of books like the Mark Elliott book, you know, Dark Prince of Hollywood and, the Richard Schickel book, the Disney version. And in fact, in later years, I talked with uh, Richard Schickel and, and he said, I was probably too hard on Walt. I know I read, he said he regretted that book. Yes, because again, you get to that point where it's like, well, I'm an intellectual and I, I want to prove that I haven't sniffed, you know, the pixie dust. 
you know, we, we still get that uh, today. Oh, all those people who are Disney fans, you know, there's that sort of uh, condescension of, you know, well, they don't really know, you know, it, it's sort of like a cult. And, um, and, you know, you don't understand, you don't realize, you know, you, you want to prove that, well, look how superior I am and how much more intellectual I am because I don't buy into any of this stuff. Well, it's still true. <laughs> when you when you talk about, I know that when you talk about the affection, Walt to Walt Lillian. I know that Walt felt that kind of thing was very private and personal. Yes, yes. And, but there is a beautiful photograph of them at the Walt Disney Family Museum. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's uh, in the section where they talk about the 1960 Winter Olympics in mm-hmm. Squaw Valley. And it looks like somebody snapped this without their knowledge, but it's a profile of them. They're in the snow, and Walt is hugging Lillian to himself, his arms around her as if he's keeping her warm, and her head is um, is sort of tucked against his shoulder, and he's his and you know his chin is sort of tucked above her head because she was a bit shorter mm-hmm. than he was. Yes, and and he's in his hat because he loves those hats. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful photo, but it conveys the affection and love that they had for each other and how natural mm-hmm. it was. And, and again, uh, you see in the, the book Call Me Walt that I, I've devoted chapters to uh, each of the family members. So there's a chapter on Lillian, there's a chapter on Diane, there's a chapter on Sharon. There's a chapter on his mom and his dad, a chapter on each of the brothers, because, uh, again, some people don't know he added other brothers other than Roy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, who were they and what did they do and what were the connections with with, uh, uh, that life? And and there's also, you know, um, uh, additional information there about his lifestyle and how... Uh, you know, uh, at, at night he would he would always make sure he would come home at night about seven thirty at night uh, to have dinner with, with Lillian. And oftentimes, when the uh, the girls had left uh, the the house, they had married and they left, they would eat on uh, TV trays in front of the TV, and they would watch. Uh, uh, they loved watching Groucho Marx on "You Bet Your Life," mm-hmm. you know, and and so. Uh, you know, it, it, it really was a, a, a nice all-American family. And, and, and again, that's, they certainly got into their arguments. You know, Lillian uh, w- was always afraid that Walt was uh, going to lose all the money, you know, w- when it went into uh, uh, sound and when it went into color and then when it went into feature films and then uh, Disneyland and 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 boy, she uh, opposed all of that. And thank heaven she did, because by doing that, it forced Walt to really focus. I really have to prove that this can be done. Mm-hmm. So I've really got to go and dot the I's and cross the T's instead of just this big dream. I've got to make sure that yes, this is workable, and I've got to be able to convince Lillian to at least say. Oh, well, give it a try, (laughs) you know, um, uh, uh, for that. But, um, yes, you you know, uh, yeah, Walt uh, Walt wanted to look nice, you know, uh, for the cameras. But, you know, there's so many of those things, like the picture that you're mentioning, that were just taken candidly. And you see the, the true Walt that, you know... He lived what he said. 
You know, it, it wasn't just, I'm saying this because this is the politically correct thing to do. I'm saying this because uh, this is the right thing to say or, you know, uh, whatever. It's because this is what I believe and I'm going to act it out. I'm going to, to follow through with this. So Jim is a great storyteller, isn't he, Craig? Oh, absolutely. Every time we sit down with him, it's you just don't even know where the conversation is going, even when we, we do know where it's going, because you come up with the outline. It just still will take 10 different tangents, but there's always gems that you get out of it. Oh, absolutely. And, and he, even before the show started, he was telling us all kinds of stories. And I was just thinking, wait, save these for the show. Save these for the show. I and, know. And some he did. Some he didn't. Yeah, but we, we just to peek behind the curtain, I think we were going like maybe 20 minutes before we even hit the record. I didn't. It was We just went naturally into a conversation and I had to stop everything and say, okay, well, should we be recording now? And I know. Well, weren't we already? <laughs> it's just so there, it's that's just an idea of what it's like to be in the room for yeah. one of these. Yeah, it reminds me when I was I don't know if I was in college, high school maybe. Uh, Catherine Hepburn is one of my favorite actresses. Yeah. And she towards the latter part of her life, she, she I mean she just didn't do interviews and Dick Cavett who did uh, had a show on I think it was PBS at the time and he was a very good interviewer and she agreed to do an interview with Dick Cavett and so they of course had a pre-show meeting a, a few days before they were supposed to record their interview for his show and so she comes strolling by and they sit down and start talking and th somebody decided to roll the cameras and basically they did the whole interview in what was just supposed to be like a pre-production meeting. Oh, wild. And it's it was a fantastic interview. And she was dressed very casually. She had her feet up like on the chair. And, and they just talked completely unscripted. Yeah. It was, it was great. And uh, that's sort of like how it is with Jim. Yeah. You know, it's just... You know, yeah. See, that's, that's what I imagine that Harrison Ford's probably like. Because everyone knows that he's like... Once you get him on a, a talk show... He's like historically just standoffish and very reserved, doesn't want to answer everything. But just I just have to believe that before the cameras turn on, though, and everything goes live, that he's probably just chatting away and having a good time and then changes immediately. But luckily for us, Jim just keeps up that energy throughout yeah. uh, what ended up for us being a two and a half hour long recording that you just got the first part of. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was interesting to learn about Jim and the road he traveled to become a, a Disney historian and author as well. I always find that interesting, yeah. how people got to where, you know, where they are, so. And now it's time for This Week in Disney History quiz on important events of the Walt Disney Studio and the Disney theme parks. Now, the goal of this segment is to not only share historic milestones, but to stir memories and inspire conversations and just have a little fun so that our Connecting with Walt family who are listening can play along with us. And this week, challenging Craig is our very own Jackie Gailey. Jackie, welcome to Connecting with Walt. 
Thank you so much, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you're welcome. We are delighted to have you um, join us today for this. And, you know, a lot of our listeners may know your name because they've seen it on all kinds of articles or they may have seen you on our Walt Disney World show. But do you want to you know, just tell our listeners what you do for the Diz? Absolutely. So I, um, yep, I write news stories and any kind of breaking news that we see. And I also write an editorial every once in a while. And I'm on the boards looking for all kinds of tidbits of information about Walt Disney World and Disney Cruise Line, everything related to Disney parks. And I also do updates on our site. So I'm always on the lookout for for things that need to be updated. And I just kind of do all kinds of stuff. I'm on social media a lot for the Diz. So mm-hmm. a lot of the tweets and a lot of the Facebook posts. And so I'm kind of everywhere. You are. And, and I think uh, you are probably the most bubbly, positive, up Per beat person I know. So um, anyway, so that so we're happy to have you uh, with us. So now the rules are, uh, you know, I'm the, we're going to give you. I'm going to state a question about an event that happened on a particular date in for this week, the week of January 28th, and you get three points if you can answer the question without asking to hear the multiple choice options. You get two points if you want me to give you the multiple choice options. And um, if you want me to take away one of the options so that you have three left, uh, then you get one point. But I'm changing it up a little. Let's say that Craig gives the wrong answer and you know the right answer. You can steal it and answer it and then you'll get a point. Oh, okay. And Craig can do the same as well. So good change. Yes. So yeah. So it makes makes it a little more interesting. So okay. So are you both ready? Oh, and no googling, especially for our friends at home. I'm all ready. (laughs) Okay. All right. So let's start January twenty eighth. So on January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty. Oh, I should start. Um. Jackie, since you are our guest, would you like to take the first question or pass it on to Craig? Oh, um, and that's and I don't get to hear the question first, huh? No, no. Oh man. Hmm. Well, I think I'll let Craig do it so I can okay. hear. Okay. Good, so, Craig, good this is for you. <laughs> on January 28th, 1982, this Disneyland cast member gave his last performance. Uh, I'll, I'll go multiple choice. Okay. Is it A, Wally Bogue, who was the original Pecos Spill at the Golden Horseshoe Review? Or B, Bob Penfield, who began working at Disneyland on opening day, operating the King Arthur Carousel? C. Ron Dominguez, who began working at Disneyland on opening day as a ticket taker and would eventually become vice president of Disneyland. Or D. Tom Nabb, who became Disneyland's first Tom Sawyer in 1956 and would eventually manage various Disneyland attractions. He would later become the manager of distribution services at Walt Disney World. 
I'm gonna have to go with a Wally Bogue because I've never heard of the other people, so I feel like that would be very obscure. Okay, and you are correct. It is Wally Bogue. He was the original Pecos Bill. He gave um three thirty nine thousand five hundred and twenty two. Um, performances at the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland. He did the show almost continuously since its opening in 1955, and it put him in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most number of performances of a show. A party for um, Wally and his friends, family, and celebrities took place after the show, and he was presented with gifts and honors, including his very own window on Main Street. So, okay, so Craig, you're starting out with three points. Two points, so, right? Oh, I'm sorry, two points. Yeah. Thank you. Look at that. I'm already okay. off two. Uh, thank I'm you for being cheat. honest. I'm not going to no, cheat. I appreciate that. Okay, but Jackie, this is your chance now to pull out ahead. I'm nervous. Okay. Okay, January 29th. This Disney film premiered at the Fox Wilshire Theater in Los Angeles on January 29th, 1959. Oh, gosh. I want to guess so bad, but I don't think I'm going to get it right. I better do multiple choice on that one. Okay. So keep in mind, this is January 29th, 1959. Is it A, the Shaggy Dog, B, Darby O'Gill and the Little People, C, Sleeping Beauty, D, Third Man on the Mountain? Okay, so the one I was thinking is not one of those choices. So I'm going to say Sleeping Beauty. You are correct. Yay! It was Sleeping Beauty. Yay! Yeah, very, very good. I don't know if I should tell you guys the other one I was thinking because it's so wrong. I think think 59 is too late. Were you thinking Lady and the Tramp? I was thinking of Snow White, but I think that was... Yeah, that's about 22 years earlier. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, Hey, you you got it right. So, there you go. You did. Yeah, and also released with Sleeping Beauty is the live-action documentary Grand Canyon, which was directed by James Algar. Oh, interesting. So, okay, Craig, here's your chance to pull ahead here. Okay, January 30th. This memorable spectacle debuted at Walt Disney World's Epcot Center on January 30th, 1998. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll just go multiple choice. Or no, I don't want to go multiple. Oh, my gosh. This is, oh, yeah, yeah, multiple choice. I don't want to okay. screw myself over. Okay. Is it A? Tapestry of Nations, B, Splashtacular, C, Skaleidoscope, or D, Illuminations? Uh, I mean, I'll just, oh, gosh. I'll just go with Illuminations, because I feel like Tapestry wasn't closer. It was closer to the Millennium, but I thought also Redone Illuminations was, too, but... I'll just go with Illuminations. 
You're correct. Go with your guts. Always. It's Illuminations. This nightly show included 13 special effects projectors, theme music, 12 wire mesh grids, 180 nozzles, which created the fountains and 783 firework pieces. There will ultimately be three different versions of Illuminations. So very good. Okay, let me um, jot this down. All right, now it's um, four to two. So Jackie, here's your chance to tie or pull forward. Okay, Okay, January 31st. This Epcot Center attraction closed on January 31st, 1994. Oh, goodness. See, and I am just really not a Walt Disney World buff. I'm more of a Disneyland one. Take the multiple uh, choice then. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to have to do multiple choice for sure. Okay. Okay. A, Communicore East and West. B, the original universe of energy. C, Captain EO. Or D, the original journey into imagination. This is January 31st, 1994. 94. Okay, so my first visit to Walt Disney World wasn't until 2008. So I saw Captain EO, so it can't be that. I saw the original figment, so it was not that either. This is good. Talk through it. (laughs) What were you going to say, Craig? I... I'm I'm torn right now. <laughs> I will. Just, ja- I I have to speak up on one of them, Jackie. Yeah. You did not see the original Figment in 2008. I didn't. No. Oh, no. okay. So it wasn't the it wasn't the one where the where the um there was one there it was where the Imagineer would come in and he would do a little thing with Figment. It was really cute. That wasn't the original, huh? The original had Dreamfinder in it. Oh, Dreamfinder. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so I'm wrong on that, too. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Um, I've never even heard of Communicore, though. Um, it is the precursor to I- Interventions. Oh, is it? Okay. I'm going to guess that one because I never even heard of that. And so if it was, you said it was 1994, it had to have closed way before I was ever there. Okay, that's your final answer? I guess so. Okay, you you are correct. Communicore East and West. This was originally the hub of Epcot Center, and it brought together nearly all of the ideas and concepts explored in Future World and complemented the experiences offered by the park's other pavilions. So it um, occupied two buildings behind Spaceship Earth. and But as Craig said, in order to keep um, Epcot updated, um, Communicore would be replaced with Interventions, which um, would officially open to guests the following September. So oh, very good. So, oh. a wild guess because <laughs> I, 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 I just haven't even heard of that. And that's really interesting to know about that because I thought interventions had been around forever and ever. Yeah, no, no. Wow. So Communicore was very cool. So. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah. Oh. 
So, okay, Craig, oh, it's now it's um, four to four. So um, here we go. February 1st, these Disneyland opening day attractions closed on February 1st, 1956. Okay, multiple choice. A, Davy Crockett Museum and Conestoga Wagons. B, the Pack Mules and Stagecoach. C, Pack Mules and the Mickey Mouse Club Theater. Or D, Conestoga Wagons and Mineral Hall. I'm going to go with... Okay, remove one. Remove one. Okay, I will remove D, Conestoga Wagons and Mineral Hall. Uh, I'm going to go with C. I have no idea, so. Okay, Pack Meals and Mickey Mouse Club Theater? Yeah. That is not correct. Uh, Jackie, do you want to try? You have a 50-50 chance here for one point. Gosh, I don't know. Davy Crockett Museum and Conestoga Wagons, or B, Pack Mules and Stagecoach? I don't have one single clue, but I will guess the first one. Davy Crockett Museum and Conestoga Wagons? Yeah. I... You... No, it is B, Pack Mules and Stagecoach. Oh. But after new landscaping and upgrading, the attractions would reopen under the names Rainbow Mountain Pack Mules and the Rainbow Ridge Stagecoaches. Or is the other way around, Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules and Rainbow Mountain Stagecoaches. So, mm, cool. anyway. Okay, so it's still four to four. Okay, and Jackie, it's your turn here. Okay. This, uh, this is for February 2nd. On February 2nd, 2006, Disney announces that this attraction will close for a significant and controversial refurbishment. Hmm. I better do multiple choice for sure. Okay, is it A, Epcot's El Rio del Tiempo in the Mexico Pavilion? B, Epcot's The Living Seas Pavilion? C. Magic Kingdom's The Extraterrestrial Alien Encounter, or D. Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. I don't have any idea about this one. Um. And this is at at Walt Disney World, right? Because it's the uh, the extraterrestrial. It, it could be. It could be. Um, we weren't even in the planning stages for our first. Let's see. I'm trying to like talk it out here to see when. Um, what was that second one again? The it second- was, I'll run through all of them. A, okay. Epcot's El Rio del Tiempo in the Mexican Pavilion. Oh, that's that was the one I wanted to pick because that's different now. And it was different. It wasn't that when I came in 2008. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say that one. Okay. Final answer? Yes. Okay. That is incorrect. Oh. Craig, do you want to um, take a guess for one point? Pirates of the Caribbean. 
You are correct. Johnny oh. Depp. That's right. Oh Disney my had... gosh, of course. Yep, they announced that they were going to work in character plot elements from the movie series that That's took right. its inspiration from the original attraction. When, so. Michael, when did that, did it actually open with Johnny Depp in there in 2006? In the Magic Kingdom? No. No, it was the same one, close to the same one as uh, Disneyland's. Okay. When it opened. Well, well no, it, I don't think Johnny Depp was added right away in 2006. It was announced. I want to say it was around 2007 when it okay. finally yeah. was opened up in it. It, it wasn't it wasn't a quick turnaround, like what's going to happen with the redhead. But it also wasn't short either. Yeah, it was about three or four months, I think, that it took, wasn't it? it, It's tough. I wasn't living here yet, so (laughs) it it was one way, one vacation, and then the next way, the next vacation. Yeah, that's how I feel like I remember it at Disneyland. I feel like it, like when we first brought the kids for our first trip, I feel like it didn't have Johnny Depp, and then the next time it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All righty. What we have now, Craig has five and Jackie has four. So, and I think we're to you, Craig. So here you go. Here's your chance to pull ahead. Um, okay, February 3rd, Disney released its seventh feature film on February 3rd, 1945. Wait, sorry. Can you say the question one more time again? Sure. Disney released its seventh feature film on Je- February 3rd, 1945. What was the film? Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to be bold and just guess it without the the multiple choice because i know multiple choice is going to literally just you probably have it so it's going to list out like number 5 number 6 number 7 and 8 but oh man this is all this radio silence and <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm just trying to get the order in my head. And yeah, okay. I, I just give me multiple choice anyway. Okay. okay, is it A. Victory through air power, B. The three caballeros, C. Make mine music, or D. Saludos amigos. Um. Uh, gosh. Were any Take of those that you one. expected? Yeah, it was, for me, it was between Saludos Amigos, oh, well, you Make shouldn't tell Music, me. and, <laughs> oops. <laughs> because Sorry, I'm going to yeah. take one away. Let me take one away first. Okay. So, okay, I will take away Victory Through Air Power. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, literally the three in my head that I was bouncing around. Um, I'll go with Make My Music. Okay, it's actually the three oh, caballeros. Oh. Jackie so. had a chance to steal it. Oh, I am so sorry. Oh, so. Jackie, do you oh. want to steal? <laughs> <laughs> now that Michael gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking it was, Jackie? I wasn't sure of mm-hmm. of any of those because 
mainly the princess movies are the early, early ones that I watched. So I would have been a, I would have done a wild guess on that one, actually. Okay. Well, you know what? Since I gave it away, I'm going to give you that point because that was my fault. So let's, so it's a five to five. Ooh. So we have a tie. But yes, um, The Three Caballeros was uh, part of the studio's sort of goodwill tour for South America. And of course, the film stars Donald Duck, who is joined by his old friend, Jose Carioca. And then um, who was we first met in Saludos Amigos, which was released in 1943. He represented Brazil. And then the pistol-packing rooster, Panchito Pistoles, um, represented Mexico. It um, would earn two Academy Award nominations. Uh, Make My Music was released in 1946. So okay. That, so, okay. So five to five. Very good. So, Jackie, I hope you'll have to join us next week to, you know, to see who who becomes the winner. I would love to do that. Excellent. Well, we will see you next week then on our This Day in Disney History quiz. Join us next time when Craig and I continue our conversation with Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. Be sure to check out our show notes for links to Jim's book, Call Me Walt, Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney. And we also have some entertaining links for you that Jim shared with me and Craig, and he said we could share them with you. Um, there'll be a link to a video with Jim as Prospector Pat at the Magic Kingdom in 1985. Maybe when you watch this, you'll realize that... Uh, that maybe um he, he taught you the gold dance when you were a boy or Craig maybe he let you stroke his raccoon I well I wasn't born in 1985 so <laughs> I I don't remember how long he said he did this but there is a good chance that his his reign ended before I made my first visit. Ah, okay. Well, and then we have a clip of a very young Jim Corcus on the game show, The Origins Game from 1982. It was hosted by Bob Eubanks. Some of you may know him as the host of the newlywed game and that it was very entertaining to watch and this was the pilot episode and you you might see maybe why uh this show didn't go um <laughs> into wide release but um but it was still a fun show i think i would have done well on it huh. so so craig until next time where can our listeners connect with you on the dis unplugged network of shows as always you can find me multiple days throughout the week on all the different shows on the dis unplugged podcast network the walt disney world show universal uh, dis daily fix on the dis and as i always recommend if you want to follow along on my twitter feed then you can do that at Teleclaster. It's where I pretend to be funny, even though I'm not. But what oh, about you, Michael? Too much too hard on yourself. <laughs> uh, well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. I'm at Twitter. I'm at Mike. 
I'm sorry, at mbowling121. On Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. It's the account with the Connecting with Walt banner on it. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling that is. And as we told you last time, you can connect with both of us on our new Connecting with Walt Twitter account. And Craig, you want to tell our listeners about that? Yep, of course you can uh, follow us along. I still don't remember if the first week I actually even gave the name of it, but... We're at Connecting Walt, and so you can follow us on there. We are going through and trying to follow all the best uh, Disney history sites that we can that are on Twitter and and people involved with Disney and just in the know, uh, you know, interesting pictures that can even pop up, stuff like that. And uh, we'll do our best to take all that content, share it with you along with our own, so... Uh, we're still getting it off the ground running, getting through all the tweaks and adjustments of it, but uh, hopefully we'll start being very active. And I already know we've got people following us and starting to respond. And, of course, if, if what you say is share with us is interesting on there, too, we'll we'll retweet you, give you a little love that way. But, yeah, it's follow along with us at Connecting Walt. Great. Excellent. And if you're at the Walt Disney Family Museum this weekend on February 3rd or 4th, you may see me or Mary Jo from our Disneyland show. We are going to be there. We're, we're going to participate in Mouse Adventure at the museum. So so that should be a lot of fun. I'm sure I'll talk about it uh, at some point on the show. I've never done a Mouse Adventure. These are This is a big deal at Disneyland. Um, they're basically huge scavenger hunts. That's what I was going to ask about. Every time I'm in Disneyland, doesn't matter if the time of year changes, it seems like always on one of the last days that I'm there, out of nowhere, there'll be all these groups running around doing scavenger hunts. Yeah, and, and, and they're huge. And Mary Jo part has participated in them for years. And I've never been in the right place at the right time to do that or been part of a team. But um, these are teams of two because of the size of the museum. So when I told the Disneyland crew about it, um, Mary Jo says she'd be on my team. So There you we'll, go. So, so cheer us on if you're there and say be sure you say hello. So... And if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Edition Archives, for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>